We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are the beginning words to the Declaration of Independence. Now let me add another side note, I guess, to this lesson. At some point during this morning, there's a good chance that I'm going to call this the Constitution um, instead of the Declaration of Independence, but please understand that we are talking about the Declaration. So you history people out there, uh, when this lesson's over, don't come up and say, you called that the Constitution. I'm telling you ahead of time, there's a good chance that I will do that. Uh, but we, so we hear these words or we read these words about our Declaration of Independence. And we think about these rights that we are given by our, by our Creator to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As we get close to our July 4th holiday, as we celebrate our independence as a nation, we think about these three things, but we think about so many other things that we have as, as citizens of the United States of America. But it's these three things that I want us to look at this morning, and I want us to examine exactly what is being talked about here, not only as a citizen, but also as a Christian. And I want us to look at these three things, this life, liberty, and this pursuit of happiness that we can also find as being one that God created, as we can, as we can think about this as being one of God's children. God has blessed each and every one of us beyond what we deserve, beyond what we can imagine. And God has given us so many things in this life, so much in this life, but he has given us a greater promise of happiness to come. He's given us a promise of happiness in the future, happiness in eternity, as we will look at in just a moment. But this morning, as we begin our lesson, let's examine life, let's examine liberty, and let's think about our pursuit of happiness and what that means to us as God's children. When we think about life, the first of these promises, what's exactly meant by this life that we're talking about? I don't know exactly what the authors of the Declaration of Independence had in mind when they wrote these words many years ago. But I think there are two things that we can apply when we think about life. There's two ways that we could go with this thought process. First of all, and probably the most obvious to us, is the fact that God has given us life here on earth. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read that God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Here we see, and it's certainly true, that God has given us physical life on this earth. God is the reason that we have life here on this earth. I don't think, though, that's the kind of life that's being talked about. And I certainly don't think that's the kind of life that's mentioned so often in Scripture. And so this second way that we could go about thinking about life is what we'll spend most of our time on as we think about this this topic of life. If you will, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 18. As we begin reading here, we're going to look at at two stories or, or two teachings that give us a a better understanding, hopefully, of this life that should be most important to us as God's children. In Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 7, we read, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into the hell of fire. Here we see life mentioned twice. And when we think about this life that's being talked about here in in Matthew chapter 18, it should be obvious to us that this is not the physical life that's being talked about. Two reasons that we know that this is not talking about physical life is A, that we're told that we know that we would already have to be alive to be able to tear a body part away if that body part caused us to sin. And secondly, we're told that it's better to tear those body parts away and enter into life. And so we know that that life that's being talked about here is a life to come, a future life. And so hopefully, and I feel pretty comfortable saying that most of us understand what's being talked about here. Most of us understand this life that's being referred to here. But that life that's being referred to there is the same life that we found or find, if you will turn over maybe a page or two, to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, we read a little bit more about that life that was talked about in Matthew chapter 18, and that life that I want us to think about for just a moment this morning. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6, we read, or verse 16, I'm sorry, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This morning, as we think about this first promise of life, I want us to think not about the physical life that we have here on this earth. I want us to think about eternal life. Because you see, one of the greatest promises that God has given us is that promise of eternal life. We know and we understand that as God's children, the hope that we have is not in today. The hope that we have is not in tomorrow. The hope that we have is in eternity. And one of the greatest events in our life will be that moment that eternity begins for us. That moment that we can finally be with our Father in heaven. That moment that we can finally find rest beyond this side of life. So many things in in life uh, are are discouraging. So many things drag us down, tire us out. Uh, You know, our physical bodies begin to break down from time to time. And and things get harder and more more difficult as we age. But in the life to come, that won't be the case. For our bodies will be eternal. Our minds, our souls will be eternal. And that's a hope that each and every one of us as Christians should understand and should look forward to is that life with God in eternity. The way that we can achieve that life, the way that we can understand and we can begin to take hold of that life that God has given us in the future, that eternal life that he's given us, is to ask the question that was asked in Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 that we just read together. What good deed must I do? to inherit eternal life. And once we're ready to ask that question as individuals, then we're, be- we're ready to look for the answer that is to come. And just as Jesus responded to this young man that we read about in Matthew chapter 19, so too do we have the answer of what we must do to inherit eternal life with God in heaven. 
we find these answers and we find these truths when we read and we study God's written word. You see, in Matthew chapter 19, the young man is told, beginning in, in the middle of verse 18, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, don't steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So often in life, we read the easy parts of Scripture. And we say something like what that young man said to Jesus. All these I have kept. What do I lack? And then we turn the page and we find those hard texts. Those hard parts of Scripture. The part of Scripture that says that if you're not saying it to build it up, to build up the church, then maybe it doesn't need to be said. We find the parts of Scripture that tell us to keep busy so that we can avoid the gossip. We find those difficult passages where we talk about always telling the truth, always being one as Christ was one. And sometimes we find ourselves lacking, just as this young man did. Jesus told him, said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, sometimes in life, those big sins that we think about all the time are are so often murder, things of that nature that are listed in the beginning of that section. Those are not the sins that are difficult for us. Those are not the sins that are difficult. Those are not the sins that will keep us from inheriting life eternal with God. It's so to speak the little things in life that sometimes we have trouble with, those worldly possessions, those family events that that we put before God, sometimes our jobs, sometimes our hobbies, those things that, that keep us from giving everything that we have to God, those are the sins that stand between us and life eternal with God. But you see, those are based on our decisions and not the decisions of God. God has given us the promise of life. The question is, are we ready to receive the gift of life? The next thing promised that we'll look at this morning is liberty. This is a word that I've heard my entire life. I feel like I understand what liberty looks like. I feel like I could draw you a picture of what liberty meant to me in my mind. But to be completely honest with you in preparing for this lesson... I had to go look up the definition of liberty because I had never really stopped and thought about exactly what that word meant in words. We see a picture of liberty, and probably each and every person right now in your mind have what liberty represents to you in your mind. But when we stop and and think about defining this word, it may become a little bit more difficult, at least it did for me. As I anticipated, what I would find as I looked up what this word liberty meant, I expected a long definition. I expected maybe alternate definitions where it still was a little bit unclear. But that's not what I found. When I looked up the word liberty, what I found was a very simple but very profound definition. The definition of liberty is freedom from control. Freedom from control. When we think about the definition in relation to our founding fathers, hopefully we understand what they were talking about when they or why they chose that word liberty. 
They had been controlled their entire lives. That's actually what they were breaking away from was the control that they had been under. Their lives having been controlled in so many different areas. And so one of the things that they wanted in this new nation was liberty from that control, freedom from that control. Maybe this is unnecessary, but for just a minute I want us to think about what I think is a difference between freedom and liberty. You see, when I think about freedom, I think about the way that our government is established. The fact that there is a separation of power. The way that our government is established so that no one person has total control over the decisions that I make. That's what I think about when I think about freedom. However, when I think about the word liberty, I think about something entirely different. When I think about liberty, I think about an entity or a, a, a person who could have complete control over my life. Something or, or someone who has the power to make me do anything that they want me to do. And even with all of that power and all of that control, they allow me to make my own decisions and to be my own person. When I think about liberty, I think more about my relationship with God. When I read about the power that God has, God could cause me to do anything that he wanted me to do this morning. He could force me to be in worship this morning. He could force me to always make the right decision when I'm living my day-to-day life. He could always force me to be where he wanted me to be and do what he wanted me to do. But that's not the God that I serve. Because God has given you, me, liberty. Even though God could control us, God has given us the ability and the opportunity to make our own decisions. God allows us to live the life that we choose to live. God has given us clear instructions of the life that he would want us to live. He's told us what's going to happen if we choose not to live that life. But then he's kind of put the control into our hands. He allows us to make our own decisions. And God never tells us in Scripture that if we do things his way, things are always going to be easy. And if we always make the bad decision, things are always going to be difficult. We see each and every day people that don't have God in their lives who are very successful, according to this earth. We see people who put God first and they always seem to have something go wrong or something go against them. They have battles each and every day, and yet they continue to put God first in their life. If we didn't have the promise of life, and we didn't have the promise of liberty, would it make any sense for us to devote time? Would it make any sense for us to devote monetarily? Would it make any sense for us to put God first in our life if we didn't have that hope of life eternal. If life ended on the day that our bodies here on this earth expired, at that moment, if life ended for us, and that was just all that it was, then sometimes we would have to ask ourselves, why do I live a life trying to serve others? Because if that was the end of life then life should be about, I'm going to do all I can for myself. I'm going to make myself as happy as I can be, because once my life is over, it's over. But you see, through that life that God has given us, through that liberty that God has given us, 
we have a different mindset as Christians. Because we understand that we're not living for those things found here on this earth. We're living for those things found in heaven. Our treasures are in heaven. Our desires are in heaven. Everything that we live for each and every day is based on not what we're going to find one day when we wake up. Not some promotion that we're going to hopefully get one day at work. Not some retirement account that we're going to look forward to one day. That's not what our desires are about as Christians. Those things are are fine and there's nothing wrong with those things as long as they don't stand between us and eternity. Because as a Christian, my number one priority should be how safe is my eternity? How safe is my future with God? God allows me to make my own choices. God promises us a reward of life should we choose to follow Him. But He's never going to force us to follow Him. And thirdly, this morning we think about the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. When we think about this, I think there's a reason that it's not written, life, liberty, and happiness. Because happiness is not something that you can be promised. You don't receive happiness in the same way that I receive happiness. We all receive happiness in a different way. I think there's a lot being said when we read the pursuit of happiness. Especially when it comes to being a Christian. If you will, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. This is, this is where we'll bring our lesson to a close as we think about some thoughts from Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. Here we see a story of a pursuit that took place. We also read about a pursuit that almost took place. But beginning in Numbers chapter 13, we see the story of the 12 spies that are sent to spy out the promised land. And those men are told to go into the promised land and report back what you see. Ten of the twelve of those spies reported back how wonderful the land was. All of the things that they had seen. All of the promises that God had told them would be in the land, those ten men saw. But they came back and they said, the men are too mighty. They're too strong of fighters. We'll never be able to take the land. But two of those spies sent back a promising report, and they said, let's go get the land that God has promised us. We've just seen everything that God is able to do. God has just delivered us from the Egyptians. We have just seen the Red Sea dried up, and we walked across the middle of it. It's what they were probably thinking in their minds. Let's go get this land. God's told us it's ours. He's told us that he'll be with us. But so often in life, the majority gets their way. Ten out of twelve said, we can't do it. And we know the rest of the story. We know that it took 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Because God told those individuals in Numbers chapter 14... Verse 22, here's what 
God told those because they didn't believe they could take the land. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. You see, God reminds them, you've just seen everything that I have done for you. You've seen my power in ways that nobody else has ever seen my power. And yet you're going to test my ability again because you don't think I can give you this land that I promised you. You don't think I'm mightier than those men on the other side. But here's the promise he gives to Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. You see, even though Caleb stood in the face of a majority that said we can't. Caleb said we can. Based on the resiliency that he had, God's promises didn't leave one because of the actions of others. When we look around the world today, it seems that that sometimes we're the only ones trying to make things better. That God's people are sometimes the only one fighting to make things better. Sometimes you may feel that way at work. You feel that you're the only one not willing to do those things that the boss has asked you to do that, that may be unethical. Sometimes when you're going through life, you feel like that you're the only one trying. Caleb had to feel that way. And yet even those others were unfaithful and didn't believe in God. Caleb's promise was not destroyed because of their unbelief. The same can be said for you and I. No matter what the belief is of others, no matter how unfaithful those around us become, the promise is still there for you, the promise is still there for me, that if we pursue what God has told us to pursue, that He will be with us and He will give us that promise that He made to us of heaven and life eternal. Nobody can take away your promise of heaven except for yourself. Nobody can take away the promise and the hope that God has given you except for you. We control, you control how happy you want to be. You control how faithful you want to be to God. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can do anything to you to take away the promise of heaven. The question is, are you willing to make the pursuit to get there? As we flip over into the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, the 40 years have passed, and the Israelites are once again ready to enter the promised land. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Let's stop for just a second and let's think about something. I try never to add to or take away from exactly what Scripture is telling us. But I want to do that for just a moment this morning. We're not adding to. We're just thinking about what this conversation may have looked like 
with Joshua. Can you imagine Joshua's mindset as he talked to these men and he said, I want you to go spy out the land. And he has seen what just happened the last time they went to spy out the land. Can you imagine the talk that Joshua might have given these before they were sent out? Can you imagine him standing before them and saying, I don't care what you see, I don't care what you experience, you come back and you give a good report. I think I would have given that talk if I had been Joshua. What about you? After everything that had just happened because of a bad report, and Joshua goes, don't let this happen again. I've seen what God's going to do to us if we don't trust in him. Please let them give a good report. I know that would have been my mindset as Joshua. And we see that the report was different. We see the situation turned out different. And we see this promise that God had made was fulfilled because the people finally trusted in the power of God. I think God has given us very similar promises that he gave to the Israelites when he gave them the promise of that promised land. You see, God gave them freedom from slavery. In John chapter 8, verse 34, we're told that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He gave them a way into the promised land. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, we're taught that for us, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And God gave them a reward that should they trust him and do his will, they would receive. In the same way, John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus tells us that whoever believes in him, though he shall die, he shall live. Our happiness will be in heaven. And the path to get to our happiness is a constant pursuit. God gave the Israelites promises. God gave us promises. When we decide that our God is powerful enough, the pursuit will never be impossible. The reward will always be worth the pursuit the moment we realize how powerful our God is. As we think about the things that we've talked about this morning, on the eve of July 4th, we see a country that we would probably all agree, to one extent or another, is headed in the wrong direction as a whole. We see leaders constantly making decisions that are not in agreement with Scripture. We see a world where people desire to take the lives of innocent. We can't predict what will happen to our country tomorrow. But there's one guarantee that we have today. The guarantee is not one that I will make you, but it's one that came from God. Even if our nation should fall and our constitution is no longer applicable, even if our leaders completely change our constitution and all of our freedoms are taken away, God has given you everything that the constitution can give you and even more. The life, the liberty, the pursuit of happiness that our declaration promises us. 
God has given us so much more than that. Should that document become invalid one day for whatever reason, we serve a God whose promises will never be done away with. We serve a God who has given us a promise that will never be taken away from us. As you live your life each and every day, even if 10 out of 12 people think that it's impossible, remember that with God all things are possible. Even if you're the only one on the pursuit, the pursuit is going to be worth the reward. Even if you look around and there's nobody standing beside you, God will fulfill his promise. If you remain faithful, if you endure, I don't know what tomorrow will bring for any of us. But I know that eternity is my future. And I want to spend that eternity with God. What about you? Where do you want to spend your eternity? And what are you pursuing right now? Is your pursuit heaven? Is your pursuit an eternal life with God? If not, change your route. Because that will be the only thing in eternity that brings you happiness, is an eternal life with God in heaven. What will you pursue when you leave this building this morning? If that pursuit's not God, if you've never made the decision to pursue God, if you've never put on Christ in baptism where that pursuit has a promise, make those changes today. Because even if it's only you and God, with God all things are possible. Are you ready to pursue a promise of eternal life in heaven? If you're ready to begin that pursuit or get back on the pursuit that you once made, make that decision right now while together we stand and while we sing to encourage you.